My name again is Tim. So glad to be here with you. If you want to take your Bibles, if you have one or on your device, please go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 to 16 today. There are a number of people in our congregation that aren't here today because they are serving at the Run for Water, and perhaps uh, as you tried to get to church this morning, you ran into roads and whatnot that were closed, so most of us are aware that that's been going on in our city today. So in my message this morning, I hope you're okay with it, I'm going to have lots of running illustrations and fitness kind of illustrations. It just seems to kind of fit the weekend. All right, so if you're a couch potato, maybe some message in the future, I'll talk more about potato chips and clickers and couches and televisions and that kind of stuff. But for today, sorry, you'll have to endure with me. You may be aware of it if you're into running at all. Earlier this month, there was an amazing event. One of the shoe companies, the one that uh, is known by the swoosh, had invested millions of dollars uh, on this, what they called uh, break, uh, Project Breaking Two. And they selected three of the most elite, uh, elite athletic runners on the planet, including the previous gold medalist at the Rio Olympics. And they invested with scientists. They did biomechanics studies. They tried to do uh, uh, everything possible with, with scientific method and with training and with these elite athletic runners to see if they could do something that has never, ever been done before on this planet. And that is to have somebody run a marathon in under two hours, hence the title Breaking Two. So they selected three of the best runners in the world. They invested all this time, they developed a special shoe, and they went about on May 6, 2017, at 5.45 a.m. on a Formula One track in Monza, Italy, they started. And the three of them ran at a blistering pace, and they ran and they ran and they ran, and as it happened, one of the runners dropped off pace a little bit, and then another one and it was but Eliud uh, Kipchoge, who was the previous gold medalist in the Rio Olympics 2016, that was right there at the barrier, right there on pace uh, to break that two-hour barrier. And as it happened, as he burst across the finish line, his time was two hours and 25 seconds. Oh, so close. But that was over eight minutes better than his gold record time at Rio in 2016 and more than two minutes faster than an ever recorded time for anyone ever running 42 kilometers, 26 miles, what we know as the marathon. Now the time will not go down in the records as a, as a world record because they did all kinds of things that sort of like would never happen in a real race. They had uh, packs of, of elite runners running ahead of these guys to break the wind for them. Uh, so they optimized everything they could possibly to break this two-hour barrier because the idea was all about, of course, marketing, but also human potential. What could, under the absolute optimum conditions, be the maximum human potential for running? Now, not many of us would ever break a three-hour marathon, let alone a two-hour marathon, but my, my guess is there is great potential for all of us, and with some training and diligence and with some investment that we could all do much better than what we've done today. And if we had what Nike poured into in their project, we could do far better than what we have, and we have this amazing potential to do better. Well, this morning, we're talking about our potential in Christ, and I think 
One of the, the sad parts sometimes about people and their idea of Christianity is that we have this idea that we come to Christ, we say yes to Jesus, it may be in a church meeting or, or on your own or wherever it's at, but we say yes to Jesus, and then that's it. We, we think that's it, it's done, the box is checked and it's over. But, but we need to understand that that's just like the start, and God has for us all this potential in Christ. Can you say with me this morning, I have potential. I have potential. Yes, you do. And life is filled with potential for us in Christ Jesus. And today, as we look at our six of 10 core values, it's all about developing people. And here's what it says. We value the discipleship and equipping of all believers to maximize their potential as God calls them by his spirit. This means we recognize gift-based ministry and leadership styles that encourage, facilitate, and empower both individuals and teams. Maximize. In other words, there's more. There's more for you as an individual. There's more for us as a church. There's a potential to be reached out to. And as we're going to find this morning, your potential, my potential, is tied into our potential. You will, I will never be all that God intends for me to be without the church. We need one another, the community of God's people. And here's the collective potential that we can grow into by the grace of God. I call it team potential picture number one in Ephesians chapter four, verse 13. Here's what he says. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Isn't it great when you're part of a community of believers and there's this incredible oneness that they have. There's alignment. There's harmony until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That unity is built around an, a relationship, a knowing of Jesus. That's where true unity comes from. To mature manhood. That's a picture of adulthood. And in fact, what he's saying, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Your potential and our potential together is that when people look at us and how we interact with them, that we would be like Jesus. People would see Jesus in us. That collectively, we'd be like the presence of Christ in our world today. What a potential. So how do we get there? Well, aren't you glad you came this morning? Because Paul's going to tell us. If we start in verse 7, we're going to pick up in the passage. And Paul has just talked about the importance of love and unity in the first six verses of chapter 4. And previous to that, he's talked about this amazing potential in the church that God will do far more abundantly that which we could ask, think, or imagine according to the power, that is, this Holy Spirit at work within us. To him be glory in the church. And then we're supposed to walk worthy of this calling that God has given us. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has told us what that calling entails, that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. We're adopted as his children. He's forgiven us our sins. He's redeemed us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's broken down the barrier between us and God, between us and, and Jew and Gentile. Like God has done so much in what we call the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we're to walk worthy of it. And we do that by walking in love. We do that by walking in unity we do that together. So in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 4, he's talked about how we need to do that. Unity and love. In verse 7, though, he says, but. But, which indicates something different. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In the run for water today, those that are serving there, they're going to see all kinds of people running. They're going to come in all shapes and sizes, and their running cadence is going to be quite different from one another. Like, it's remarkable when you watch people run, how differently people can run. But what will happen this morning that is amazing and so beautiful, if you've ever witnessed a marathon or or even a 10K run, is this culture, this energy of people all moving in the same direction. Like, it, it really is exciting. And that's sort of the picture of the, of the church that Paul is painting for us. Incredible unity, but great diversity. And that's where the but comes in in verse 7. But there is diversity. Grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he's going to illustrate that for us in verse 8. He says this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Paul is reminding us of a passage in the Old Testament that referred to like when a king conquered uh, another country and he came home, he would lead captives with him and as they did so, there'd be this great procession back into the city and probably up onto the high point in the city, the mountain, and, and the people would line the streets and there'd be praise and there'd be joy and there would be gift giving. Paul uses that historical picture to to point us to Jesus as we sang this morning here in the sanctuary, like he's king, triumphant king. And Jesus, after descending, that Paul talks about here, after descending to the earth and after lowering himself and stooping to the very cross that he embraced, he is exalted as the risen savior. And in that picture, Paul says, he has given gifts to the church. Paul's reminding us that this head of the church didn't think himself too high to lower himself for the good of other people. We need to remember that when it comes to gifts. And as Jesus does this, as he gives gifts, not everyone receives the same gift, but all benefit from the spoils of his victory. And those gifts are good for all the people. And in fact, some of the gifts are people. So he says in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Jesus said he would build his church, and one of the ways he's going to do that is to give to the church gifted leaders. So let me just sort of briefly, in one word, kind of capsulate what each gift, leadership gift would, would embody. So as a teacher, we, we understand most, like teaching is to communicate. Teachers communicate, they explain, they expound God's truth. Shepherds protect, they care for, for the flock of God. They look over them, they, they watch over them, they, they feed, they lead, they protect them. We get the word pastor from that word shepherd. They're evangelists, they are proclaimers. They proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Prophets clarify. They call out to God's people to be clear on their calling. They call out to them to make them clear on their direction if they've they've lost their way. They strengthen and they build up to walk in right ways with God. And apostles, I didn't know this was a word, but it actually is. They catalyze. We know what a catalyst is. Apostles catalyze. They stir up the body of Christ. They lead the expansion of Christ's kingdom to do that. Planting churches, making new disciples, and they lead the leaders. We typically today in North America label all uh, church leaders as pastors. 
But if we were to drill down and really analyze the, the real gifting of each pastor, I think we might discover that not every pastor in their greatest gifting is, is a shepherd. I once was part of a church where it was obvious to our lead pastor and to most of us around him that he was really an evangelist. And he knew that, and we knew that. Generally, we are okay with teachers, pastors, evangelists, but we wonder about these words, apostles and prophets. Are they still for today? If you were asked, who is the greatest apostle of all time, what, what would come to your mind? The apostle Paul. That's what would naturally come to our mind. But there's this interesting verse in Hebrews which maybe asks us to think a little differently first. Hebrews 3 verse 1 says this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus was called an apostle. In fact, Jesus fulfilled all five of these roles on earth. He was a sent one. That's what apostle, that's by definition what it means. He was a sent one. He was an apostle. He was sent by the Father. He came as a sent one. In Latin, we get the word missionary from that, sent one. He was a teacher. He went about teaching people the kingdom of God. He was an evangelist. In Luke 4.18, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news. He was an evangelist. People recognized him as a prophet, and he said to the people, I am the shepherd. He was apostle, he was a prophet, he was evangelist, he was pastor, shepherd, he was teacher. He was all these five things and more. Scott Lenking points out that Jesus functioned in all five of these roles. The body of Christ collectively is called to be all of Christ in all the earth. Therefore, Christ's desire would be to continue to gift people in all these ministry roles. So, we should not be surprised if the expression of these gifts are still being gifted by Jesus to his church. And in fact, in Ephesians 4, what we read here, these five gifts are necessary for us to reach our potential. Now, before you freak out, I am not saying that we have apostles today like the Apostle Paul. Somebody's referred to the original 12 and the Apostle Paul as apostles with a capital A. I think that's a good way to remember them. But there are people who may be called among us who, to, to lead the expansion of the church, to plant churches and stir up the body of Christ to do that or, and to go and do that themselves. There are people who hear from God and call out to the church with what he reveals to them to follow in God's ways, to give clear direction and walk in that without being like Elijah and Elisha, that every word that they speak has to be right on or they're stoned. That the, the outpouring of the spirit in the New Testament is on all flesh and, and it talks about how people will prophesy. And so those who do that a little bit more, we can, we can maybe think of as prophets, apostles, prophets, evangelists. We need those that stir us up to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, not to just be content with ourselves in, in our huddle, but to, to go out there and proclaim what we have because of our Lord and Savior. Five ministry gifts that God has given and we need them in order for us to fulfill the potential that God has called us into. And there's more. What else has to happen? In Nike's Breakthrough Project, they enlisted specialists. They enlisted scientists, shoe designers. But they still needed the runners to run. So they could do everything possible to, 
to make it possible for them to run the best time ever. But the runners still had to do the work. They still had to train. They still had to sweat. And on that morning in May, they had to give it their all. The runners still had to do the work. Some people's view of leadership in the church, I think, is that we have pastors and teachers, and the better they are, well, that's the better for the church, and we will pay them, and we'll just be really happy if they do all the work. Paul's picture of the church is quite different. Paul's picture of the church is that there are these leadership gifts, evangelists, apostle, prophet, pastors, teacher, and they are among the people. And what are they doing? They are doing ministry, but what is, what, is the, what is the major function of their ministry that Paul pulls out for us to see this morning? They are to equip. They're not to be the ones who do the work while everyone watches. That's a hockey game. That's 40 guys that are in deep need of a rest while 18,000 people who need exercise are sitting in the stands. Paul's picture of the church is that these leadership gifts are among the people and they're equipping them for what purpose? To do the work. To work in their gifting, to work in their service for the good, for the potential that God has called us into so that the body, Paul says, would be built up. Did you know that we are bodybuilders? Did you know that? We are bodybuilders. Now, any of you who have followed the bodybuilding sport, I mean, it's, it's quite a subculture of humanity. And if, if you know anything about it, like, it's, it's quite crazy. These guys go to, and women nowadays, go to incredible lengths to have their body look a certain way. And so, you know, they'll use weights and use them in certain ways to build up their muscle so that it looks a certain way. And they'll, they'll look in the mirror, you know? They, they do all that kind of stuff. And then they'll see, oh, I got a deficiency here. And so they'll do exercises that specifically target that muscle to make it grow, have it look better, more defined, and all that. Because they have a target, they have a goal. Well, in the church, we are bodybuilders. We're, we're building one another up. And what's our goal? What are we, when we look in the mirror, what are we trying to look like? Jesus. Jesus. Absolutely. Nothing less than Jesus Christ, our Lord. And who is that lofty goal for? Verse 13. Until we all attain this goal. All of us. Maybe you're here this morning and you know, you're just in middle school or high school and you're thinking, well, you know, this really going really going after Jesus, really serving God and serving in the church and serving in the community and knowing what my gift is and using it for God's glory. I mean, that's for the future at some point. That's down the road. And then you reach young adult and, and there's so many things to do and then you get married and there's so much with having children and raising kids. It's for somebody else. It's someone else down the road. And and then you see these people that are really spiritual. You know who I'm talking about? You probably have a picture in your mind. Somebody who's just, they're really spiritual. They, they just exhibit what it probably looks like to be a real amazing follower of Jesus Christ. And you think, well, this kind of passage, the fullness of Christ reaching that potential, well, that's for them, not for me. What does Paul say? Until we all. 
So I was reflecting on that this week. I was thinking about people who are superstar athletes in our world today. Most of them, the, the far, by far the majority, started when they were kids. They had a love for this sport, and they started to play that sport when they were kids and develop in that sport when they were kids. Like, now's the time, no matter where you're at, no matter what your age, now is the time to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to, I'm going to see what God has wired me for, and I'm going to serve him in that capacity, not just for myself, but for the others around me. Like, now is the time. And if you're thinking, well, I could never be like that amazing Christian that I have in my mind right now. Well, maybe you can't be like that person right now in this moment, but they didn't get there overnight either. And somebody who can run a, a, a sub two hours and 10 minute marathon didn't get there overnight either. They trained and they developed and they started at three hours and then they cut a few minutes off that time and they got to 2.55. Then they got to 2.50. See what I'm saying? We start where we are. And we have this desire, we see this potential that God has given us together. And we see that goal and we say yes to Jesus, not just at the start, but for the journey. And we become more and more and more like him each hour, each day, each week, each month, each year, each decade, and for a lifetime. Until we all attain, Paul says, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What an amazing picture that is for us. In verse 14, Paul's gonna quickly paint a picture of what I call failed potential. He says, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. When he uses that word children there, it's not like a, a grown-up child, it's more like infant. So he's saying that we wouldn't be like people who should be adults, but we're still dressed in baby garb. And Paul characterizes an infant in the faith, particularly in someone who's unsettled in what they believe. And so they're tossed. It's like they're a victim of the winds of teaching that flow around them, and they're tossed back and forth. And they're, they're probably gullible and easily taken advantage of. And as it was then, so it is now. There are just, there are streams of teaching. And some of it's not right. And some of it's not good. And it comes under the guise in the name of Christianity. And it won't be good for you. It'll harm you. It'll take you down the road of destruction. It'll destroy your potential, not help you get to it. But in God's team, in team potential. There are teachers who explain. There are shepherds who protect. There are prophets who keep things clear. There is a collective discernment and safety. There's an environment to grow. So that rather than that, Paul says, and he gives us another picture in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working, properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Another beautiful picture of what this should be like, that there would be a culture where the people in the church are operating together in love. They love each other, and that love is expressed in a certain way. 
They speak truth. It's the kind of culture where people can speak truth to one another. So how are we going to become like Jesus? How are we going to grow into our potential? Well, we need the the gifted leaders. We need to serve with the gifts that we have. We need to build one another up in a culture of love. And in that culture of love, though, we also need to be able and willing to speak truth to one another. Now, in our heads, when we we hear that, we might be thinking we need to correct one another in love. And, And that may be part of it. But I'm not sure that's what Paul is getting at. I think what he's getting at is that in every situation that people are in, whether it's their marriage, whether it's how they raise their children, whether it's their job, and we're talking about it, we bring Jesus into the conversation. We help point people to Jesus. So if we are going to meet in community groups and threes and fours, which I think is so good for us to have you know, beyond what takes place on a weekend to, to be involved in, with a group of people that you're going to commit to meet with on a regular basis, but that when you do that, you're committed to speak to one another truth, Jesus and his gospel. What Paul has told us in chapter, uh, chapters one to three are all these amazing things. Like I said, we're adopted, forgiven, chosen, redeemed. We're given an incredible hope. We're a temple of his Holy Spirit. And as, as that begins to sink, sink in our hearts and we're having conversations with other people that we meet with, those truths need to find their way on our lips in our conversation. Let me give you an example. So John is going through a messy relationship with his father and, and because his dad has always been sort of uh, demanding and never encouraging he projects that into his own life. And so you can see that John is, never takes a chance. He's never courageous. He's always afraid to fail because he's afraid of being criticized like he's always been from his earthly dad. And as you begin to see that and recognize it, what truth of the gospel do you begin to speak into his life? You start to remind him of what Ephesians tells us about his father being a, a loving father about the love that God has for him, that he is adopted, that he is chosen, that he doesn't have to worry about measuring up because he already does in Christ Jesus. And now what he does, he can be, feel free to fail because God is for him, not against him. And if he gave his son Jesus for him on the cross, will he not freely with him give all things? You see, as the gospel gets into our hearts and we can begin to speak it to others very specifically where they're at in their life. Deborah is in a rough breakup in her marriage. Her husband has kind of left her and he's making it difficult with the kids. She shares that with her community group. The natural way might be just to come alongside her and say, Deborah, you're a good person. You know, we're with you. We strengthen you. And those things are all good. But do we point her to Jesus? Do we remind her of the truth in love that Jesus has her back, that the better husband really is Jesus, that he's her hope, not her salvaging her relationship with her husband, as good and as God would intend that to be. But Jesus is her hope. Don't spend all your time thinking about how you're going to restore your relationship with your husband. First, put your heart and your mind and your eyes on Jesus and then allow that to work out in how you relate to your husband and others around you. He is your hope. Connect her to Jesus. Speaking the truth in love, Paul says, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Jeff Vanderstelt, who's written a book called Gospel Fluency, says we need to become adept 
at listening to one another and being able to speak gospel truths to one another that speaks directly to each situation. In other words, we have to become fluent in the language of truth. He says, think of it this way. If we are to help one another grow up into Christ in every way, we need to learn how to speak the truths of Christ into everything, every aspect of life, every situation we face, and every issue we address. Now, there's a little bit more to this team potential picture number two. We will only reach our potential when each part is working. Paul writes, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, I stand before you here this morning. I can't truly say I'm a runner in how a runner would define themselves as a runner, but I've been running for about five years. And, you know, I told people this weekend I'd be there running the half marathon if I didn't have to preach this morning. And that's not true. (laughs) I think the farthest I've run is eight kilometers. So I might have gone for the 10 kilometers this morning. But so I'm not a true runner, but I do run. And I've been doing it for about five years. Last spring, uh, my next door neighbor, we are very good friends, and he is like super athlete, so he is training for the Whistler Triathlon, which is one of the hardest triathlons in the world, by the way, with all the elevation changes and everything. And every once in a while, he'll ask me to go with him. So I've cycled with him, but he asked me to go running with him. And I put him off a few times, you know, I don't think I really wanted to. But this one time I said yes. And as we started to run, I realized that my Achilles was sore because I'd been starting to get a little bit sore. And so I had this moment in my head as we're running that I should probably stop. But then being a, what I truly am, a hockey player who always play through pain, I said, I'm just going to keep going. I'll just run through it. Bad decision. Bad decision. So we ran uh, a fair distance, and on the way back, it included some, a significant hill. It was, it was a great run. I actually kept up to him. I think he was just being kind to me. And I paid for it for about a year. My Achilles was so sore, so bad, and didn't work properly anymore that it affected everything else I did. Couldn't play tennis properly. You know, couldn't, couldn't do this exercise properly. It It had such an impact on my whole body, I couldn't believe it. Achilles, it's like this, just this little band. Like, what's the big deal? But it affected everything. What a picture, Paul says. The body grows, it builds itself up when each part is working properly. Don't be that Achilles heel, it doesn't work in the church. Don't be that. Be that person that's following Jesus, and as you do, you're serving, you're building one another up. Be that kind of person. Be that team player. We have developed a a new vision statement for Central Heights recently, and the first phrase goes like this. A movement of more and growing followers of Jesus. So we envision that we would be a community of people in which the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work. That's what creates a movement, not us. The Holy Spirit does that. And as he's at work in us, we're going to see more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see people grow in their relationship in Jesus Christ. And I think that's why the next phrase to the vision statement is so important, because it says this, developing healthy churches. We won't grow if we're not a healthy church ourselves. 
If we're not a community of people that love each other, speak the truth and love to one another, are concerned about one another, building one another up, using our gifts to bless others and serve others, we won't grow. The importance of a healthy church cannot be minimized. One another, working properly with recognized leadership, elders, people gifts, and together collectively running in the same direction for the glory of God that we might be like him. That's a beautiful picture. I have a friend in Australia who is a little bit younger than I am. A couple years ago, I think he was about 48 years of age, he decided he would run in a 100-kilometer race. 100 kilometers. And not on flat terrain. Like when they ran that Breaking 2 project, they ran on the Formula 1 track because it had the minimal uh, rise on it and everything. No, this 100-kilometer race was in Australia in, in trails. Some of it was in trail running, 100 kilometers in Australia temperatures. But the unique thing about that race was that it, it wasn't just an individual race. You had to run in team. So you had a team of four people, and for your time to qualify, three of you had to cross the finish line. So as you train, what are you thinking? You're not just thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the team. I'm doing this for the team. I'm doing this for the team. And as you enter into that race, you don't just think about how fast you can go. You're cognizant. You're aware. You're thinking about the team. You're encouraging one another. And you run together as you do that. That's the picture of the church that God has called us to be. There is no potential without team. We will never reach our full potential without the church. So think about that as we think about the implications. What does that mean for us today? I think very clearly we need to embrace a diverse model of leadership, God's gifted leaders that he gives to the church. We need to embrace those gifts and receive from them. Secondly, I think in response to God's grace that we need to be intentional about our own growth in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to be intentional. I want to put an opportunity out there for, for us as we think about being intentional in our relationship with Jesus and growing in him. We have developed uh, this little tool called what is a disciple? And as we thought about discipleship, following Jesus, we thought about, well, what is a fully orbed like person who, who really is, is growing in their relationship with Jesus and has been, they are mature and they've been doing it for quite a while. What do they look like? And so we, they would think like this, their head would be like this, their, their heart would be like this, their hands would be like they'd be serving in a certain way. They'd be filled with the Spirit, they'd be prayerful people, all these things. And then we developed a questionnaire that would go along with it. And we just wanted to put that out. If you're interested in being a guinea, guinea pig, that's not really a good phrase, is it? If you're interested in being a test case person that would like to participate in this, just email us at info at centralheightschurch.ca and we're going to start with just a couple people and, um, and then we'll see how it goes and if you didn't get a, to participate at the beginning, we'll let you know what's going on and you can, um, I don't know, I just think that this is going to be a tool to help us be very intentional about our growth in Jesus Christ. I think in the church sometimes we are far too um, sort of uh, just general about how we grow in the Lord and God has much more intent for us. Thirdly, let's make it a high priority in meeting together, in growing together, speaking love to one another, 
in being the church. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you have called us. You've adopted us. You've set your love on us. I thank you that in your triumph, you've given gifts. You've given the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who believe in you. And with that, Lord, you've given us uh, such a diversity of graces. And they're not just for ourselves, Lord. They're, they're for you and, and for each other. And Lord, I just want to pray that you would help us to receive from you and, and then, Lord, to pour out our lives in worship to you in the church that you so dearly love that you died for it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.